Looking ahead to this week, I want this message to help you with this coming week because none of us are going to have a stress-free week. Amen. And so uh, I thought I'd start, first of all, if you're under 30, you can't relate to this too much, uh, but this slide is symptoms of holiday overload in a tech sort of a way. My mind's like an internet browser. 17 tabs are open. Four of them are frozen. I don't know where the music's coming from. <laughs> yeah, all of us older folk have that kind of thing going on. What do I, what do? I, do? Uh, I googled holiday stress, and uh, here is uh, the first image that came up. And yeah, it looks kind of like stress, but f to be honest, I look at, you know what, that kind of looks staged. Sure enough, the next shot, same girl. Now she's happy, okay? Same ball of packages. So it didn't seem real legit, so I went ahead and looked a little further. Now this slide I can relate to. <laughs> this happened last week, okay? Although the, the lights were up and half the string doesn't work, it stresses you out. And this guy is beyond stress. He's just holiday depressed, all right? He is ready for it to be done, all right? Uh, well, you may be somewhere on that continuum from one area to another. And I want to I offer you today uh, something that you already have, but you have a choice with it. And the choice you make with what you already have will largely determine if you have a great holiday season or not. What I want to offer to you is something you already have. Likewise, will make a huge impact on the rest of your life. And there's much we can learn about it from the Christmas story. Before I jump to the Christmas story, let me give some quotes to you from a couple of people that have talked a lot about this. Uh, Zig Ziglar and John Maxwell have spoken, made a career out of encouraging people with their attitude. And having a positive attitude uh, can make a huge difference in your life. Here are some of the thoughts. Number one, your attitude, your favorite attitude should be gratitude. Sociologists, psychologists alike tell us when they study human nature, people whose, whose default is gratitude are healthier as a general rule, physically, emotionally, mentally, relationally, whatnot. Another thought, uh, your attitude is a choice. Say it's a choice. Tell somebody else it's a choice. It'll either be your best friend or your worst enemy. Your greatest asset or your greatest liability. Your attitude is a choice. And attitudes are contagious. You ever notice that? You know when Debbie or Donald Downer comes in the room? Right? Or a person who's real upbeat and how they can kind of change a crowd? Your attitude is contagious. question is, is yours worth catching? Or people put a mask on to keep themselves from your attitude, if it could, right? Another thought they raise, positive attitudes will help you do everything better than negative attitudes. And just do the math. Uh, the more you complain about problems, the more problems you have to complain about. It seems like we get good at identifying things to complain about. And then the last thought I'll share from them is that we chose what attitude we have right now. Whatever you've got right now, you chose it. Oh, I didn't choose it. Yeah, you did. Nanoseconds of time, maybe not a whole lot of conscious effort toward it, but you chose it. And the ability to choose your attitude is huge if you're going to be obedient to this book because this book gives us lots of instruction and it doesn't come natural. It's a supernatural book. So you've got to make choices. So here are some attitude choices that are just, just implied, just assumed in Scripture. Psalm 118.24 should be familiar to us. We quote it during the series in October. We added a little phrase to it. But it says, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I am going to choose to rejoice. I'm going to choose to be glad. I'm going to choose the attitude. And we add it to that because it's filled with possibilities. 
Another verse, Psalm 34, verse 11. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. I'm going to choose to do that. Another verse, Psalm 35, uh, verse 18, tells you what to do when you get here at church. I will give you thanks in the great congregation. I will praise you among a mighty throng. When you get to this great congregation, you have a choice, and the choice that's suggested here is I will give thanks. Now, some of you don't always make that choice. Some of you come to this great congregation, and you're like, I don't feel like worshiping. I'm not going to worship. You can't make me worship. <laughs> or this. In fact, some of you are doing this right now. Let me ask you a question. Do you suppose every Saturday, my weekend starts on Saturday, every Saturday my workday starts on Saturday, Saturday and Sunday, when I come to church, like every Friday when I'm looking forward to coming to church, do you suppose every Friday life is wonderful for me, for me and I just feel like worshiping and teaching and preaching and whatever? Do you suppose that's true every single week? Say no. I have a choice to make. Sometimes I have to make a choice in my back prayer room after the prayer team has prayed for me. Okay, I have to make a choice, God. I am going to choose to give thanks to this great congregation, and I'm going to choose to preach your word. So if I can choose that, guess who else can choose that? Say, I can. Tell your neighbor, you can. You've got a choice to make when you come to this great congregation. Paul talks about the transformation that's supposed to happen in us as believers. And it's not just like, poof, some sort of magical spiritual thing happens and all of a sudden you're totally different. It's a process. Say it's a process. The process starts when we accept Christ in our heart, but then the process starts up here. But it is life-changing. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, all its negativity and whatever, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewing of your attitudes, if you will. Our attitudes are, is our tendency, our disposition of our mind and our emotions toward things, events, people, and circumstances. So choose transformation by renewing what happens here. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. He restores my soul. That restoration process, I find, is lifelong. And restoring my soul is he restores my mind, my thoughts, what I choose to think. He restores my emotions, my feelings, what I choose to have liberty in my, in my, my feeling, my emotional life or not. And then he restores my will, the last part of my soul. So my will, I choose. I'm a gatekeeper, if you will, of my emotional and mental life and my emotional and mental response to life in general. I am in the person who is in control of my attitude, Scripture would say. And you have to be to do some of what Paul tells us to do. Paul tells us to control your attitude about your past. Some of you do. Some of you are, 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 are prisoners to it. And some of you have a wonderful past, and so you can be thankful for it, learn from it. Some of you have a painful past, you can still be thankful for it and learn from it and then move on. Some of you have a difficult past and you keep living there and keep dragging it forward. And guess what? You're not going to experience Christmas 2022. You're going to experience Christmas past all over again. Or maybe your past was great. And so you just keep living the glory days over and over again and you're not going to experience what God has for you. Here's what Paul says. He says, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of perfection yet, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Choose an attitude of gratitude for what's behind you, an attitude of a learner, but then choose an attitude of anticipation. Okay, that was then. I wonder what God has for me now. Because none of us live with our past. We live simply with what we tell ourselves about our past. Tell ourselves, I'm going to learn from it, be thankful for it, and then I'm going to look ahead. Another thing Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, and if you go back to the original language, this is not uh, a suggestion or an option. It is, it is a, a command. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He doesn't say rejoice in the Lord sometime. Rejoice in the Lord when you feel like it. No, make the choice and rejoice always. You hear me? Always. It's a command, not an option. Boom. Well, if I couldn't choose my feelings, if I couldn't choose joyfulness, then that would be a ridiculous statement to make. But I do have a choice. I can choose a joyful attitude. Then he says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Here's another one. Be anxious for nothing. That's a piece of cake, isn't it? For nothing. How do I do that? That takes loads of choosing and obedience here and here. Well, if you're going to be anxious for nothing in everything, by prayer and humility, with thanksgiving, there's that gratitude thing again, let your request be known to God. There's something about thanking God for things past, present, and future that builds my confidence and relieves my anxiety. And if you do that, he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So some of you are saying, yeah, but what does all that have to do with Christmas? Well, it has loads to do with Christmas uh, and the Christmas story. So I want to transition to that. And there's two Gospels you can read about Christmas. Mark and John don't deal with it, but Matthew does and Luke does. Matthew is written to a Jewish audience. And so he's trying to prove to Jews, and for Jewish people, their Bible was the Old Testament. He's trying to prove to his Jewish audience that this Jesus is the one that's been prophesied about for centuries in the Old Testament. So he has more Old Testament quotes than any other uh, uh, gospel author because he's trying to prove that point. So when you get to Matthew's gospel, the first chapter, half of it is a family tree, Ancestry.com, Jewish style. And so he's trying to prove Abraham and Isaac and all the way through David, all the way through that the family tree, the lineage of Jesus ends at Joseph. And he barely mentions Mary in his gospel. It's about Joseph and it's about all the ancestry. It's about the Roman Empire and whatnot. But then Luke is the other person who writes about Jesus. Luke is a doctor. He's called the beloved physician. And you can see Luke's doctorliness because when he writes about the, the, the pregnancy of, of Mary, Mary and her cousin Elizabeth, he even talks about third month, six months, kind of like a trimester master perspective. And, and so Luke writes about it. And what we're going to do, we're going to examine four verses in the life of Mary to show, first of all, what an amazing young woman she was, but also to show the attitude that she chose. And there's something very important that we, we often forget, is that when Bible heroes went through the story in the Bible, they didn't have the whole book. Mary didn't have the whole gospel story of Jesus. She just had one page one verse at a time. And so she's living this real time. Mary is a teenager. In those days, they married much younger. And she is engaged to Joseph. And she is dreaming about her wedding. And uh, if you're following along in the CLC app, the first point uh, says very simply, Mary kept pondering. She kept mulling it over, kept thinking about, kept trying to make sense out of this. Let me share with you verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, 
the angel Gabriel, so there you are in the sixth month, there's a two trimester thing, was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of a descent of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Remember, she does not have the rest of the stories. Here's this engaged young woman and there's this angel, the Lord is with you, favored one. Talk about freaking you out. And so it says in that next verse that she was very perplexed, very troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. Because there's something interesting about the favor of God in this story that we have lost 2,000 years later in an American Christian version where we say favor of God and what Mary experienced as favor of God, very different. Hold that thought. Second thing we see about Mary, second point, talk about stressed. Okay, she does not have the rest of the story. She does not know wise men are showing up and shepherds are showing up and angels more and all that kind of stuff. So in verse 30, the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. Behold, you'll conceive in your womb, bear a son, you'll name him Jesus. He'll be great and called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. Here's what we learn about the favor of God that we miss. Sometimes the favor of God, the will of God, the plan for God, takes your life and flips it upside down. It looks nothing like what you planned. And that is the favor of God. Gee, thanks, Lord. I was looking forward to my wedding. I don't know if they had wedding showers back then. I was looking forward to my wedding and the ceremony and the family. I already said yes to the dress. Just checked to see who was watching cable TV. And the angel said, uh, Mary, favored one, God's going to change all that. And verse 34, it doesn't make sense. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? You see, biblical morality basically identifies sex as a life-uniting act with life-uniting intent in a life-uniting relationship for life. In other words, it's meant to be saved for marriage. And Mary and Joseph were doing exactly that. I'm a virgin. He's a virgin. How's this going to happen? Keep in mind, did I tell you, Mary doesn't have the rest of the story. Mary has no clue what Joseph's reaction is going to be, and his first reaction wasn't that great. Mary doesn't know about the, angel, the, the shepherds and the wise men, and she said, how can this be? And then the third thought is, wow, talk about being totally imposed upon. How many of you know that God's God and you're not? Not a trick question, okay? We talk about God's will. God's will. It's a big deal. If God wants his will to happen, how many of you know he can make it happen? Whether you want it or not. Mary didn't ask for this. Mary found favor. She's a righteous girl. You can tell why when you see her responses. Okay, Mary, then God is going to impose his will on you. He doesn't even ask permission. Here is what's coming. The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. She who is called barren is in her sixth month. And the angel says, for nothing will be impossible with God. Would you read that verse with me out loud? Nothing will be impossible with God. Read it one more time. 
Nothing will be impossible with God. Mary doesn't have the rest of the story, but she knows what she has heard is beyond belief. Never happened before in history. Am I delusional? Am I, am I seeing things? Is this really real? And then what in the world is Joseph going to think? And we know what Joseph thought. When Joseph first heard, when Mary went to Joseph and said, uh, Honey, slight change of plans. I'm pregnant. Oh, no problem, babe. Uh-uh. Because he knew what she knew. We have not had sex. At least I haven't had sex, he says. And so if I haven't had sex and she's pregnant, come on, Mary. She honestly thinks I'm going to believe that she is pregnant by God. But I love her. I can't believe this. He's bewildered. And so what were, what were Joseph's first plans? i got to break this off and get out of this. He planned to put her away quietly. Honey, whatever's on, going on with you, sure, you want to believe God made you pregnant. I don't believe that you weren't faithful. You've broken my heart. I'm betrayed. But I care enough. I still love you. I'm just going to separate myself from you. That was Joseph's original plan. And, and from Mary's response and Joseph's response, she does not know the rest of the story. She does not know that after Joseph decides, I'm breaking up with you, that then God sends an angel to Joseph in a dream and says, no, Joseph, time out. Scrap your plans. Do you ever have plans not work out? Do you ever wonder what in the world is God doing? Do you ever maybe not call it favor with God but have the will of God, flip your life upside down, and now you realize, well, that, that can be the favor of God. And the last point, Mary is not like other Bible heroes. Mary had a choice. I mean, when you look at heroes throughout Scripture, Sarah, she is named in the New Testament. Sarah was, uh, what, 65? When God first promised her and Abraham that they would have a baby boy, Isaac, and then at 90, and, and what did Sarah do? When Sarah heard the promise of God, Sarah laughed. Mary didn't do that. You look at Jonah. Jonah ran from God's plan. I'm not doing that. You look at someone like Saul. Saul, the first king of Israel, he looked like a king. And he was chosen by God. And then Saul tried to manipulate the situation and make it a little more appealing to the way he wanted it. Mary didn't do that. Thomas, one of Jesus' hand-picked 12 disciples, was so immobilized by doubt when he was told that Jesus rose from the dead, couldn't believe it, wouldn't believe it, chose not to, refused to, until Christ appeared to him. And the Israelites, the Israelites who prayed to God for freedom from slavery in Egypt, they were in Egypt for four centuries. They're praying for a deliverer. God raises up a deliverer named Moses. He leads them from the promised land. And the Israelites, that, that nation of people, that generation, they complained their way right out of the will of God. The Bible says they became as those who complained in adversity. And God said, in essence, fine. You keep thinking you're going to die in the wilderness? I'll let you die in the wilderness. Mary could have easily laughed at this angel. You've got to be kidding me. Me, favorite of God? Me, pregnant? By God, by God yeah, right. What are they going to say? She could have laughed it off. She could have ran from it. I'm not, I've got other plans. 
She could have complained, oh, I can't believe now, and now I'm pregnant, and now we have to go to Bethlehem, and does, if this is God's will, how does, does God not see I'm riding on a donkey all the way to Bethlehem, 100 miles? I mean, she could, have, she could have done all those things that other biblical heroes and examples did. Well, Mary had a choice. All those would have been legit, would have been justified, understandable. Mary had a choice, and listen to her incredible choice in Luke chapter 1, verse 38. Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed. We don't understand bond slaves in our culture, but in ancient times, slavery was part of the economy. And depending on who you were a slave of, there were some benevolent slave owners that, that treated their slaves like humans. And a slave could find themselves, actually, I have a better life being a slave, a servant of this master than I would be if I was on my own as a peasant trying to survive in our culture. And in Hebrew culture, every seven years, slaves were set free. And so if you saw year seven coming and you realize, you know what, I'm better off in, in this guy's household serving him, treats me kind, takes care, I got a roof over my head, I, I want to stay a slave. You could do that. You could volunteer for that. It's called being a bond slave, a voluntary slave, and they would they would pierce your ear, put an earring in it so people knew from the rest of your life, oh, they belong, so they chose to belong to somebody. And Mary says, I'm going to choose to surrender my will to you as upending as it is. At this moment, I have no idea if Joseph is going to stay with me or not. I have no idea if my family is going to disown me. And some suggest maybe the reason she went to Elizabeth's house for th and her thir when she was three months pregnant was, you know, she's starting to show. Maybe I'll go and go to my cousins and kind of be out of the way so people aren't talking about me. I have no idea how any of this is going to go, but Mary made a choice and she said, I am God's voluntary servant. Lord, have your will in me. And we see, you know, when things don't go well, when a person is pressed, that's when you see their true colors come out. We can all be nice and pleasant and whatever when things are good, right? But let heartache or disappointment, let whatever hit. And what do we see coming out of Mary? Why she was chosen in the first place. Hail, favored one. You've loved God all along, and God is trusting you with something huge. It's going to be totally different from what you expected. You're going to have to surrender your will to his, but God has chosen you. And Larry, Mary does not disappoint me. She says, let it be done to me according to your will. If that teenage girl could choose that kind of attitude with all those unknowns ahead. And her life was not some... Mary, Mary's memory has been revered since, but her life... Oh, yeah, that's the woman who, yeah. Her whole life, she had to live under that shadow of gossip. Her whole life, that questionable, yeah, right, yeah, Jesus. It didn't go the way she planned. And then to watch her own son dying on a cross, can you imagine her heartache? To that, she said, let it be done to me according to your will. What an incredible choice. What an incredible decision about the disposition of my thoughts and my emotions to people and places and circumstances around me. I will honor God. So with the difficult, stressful things we got coming up this week, 
Choose your attitude. Choose to be grateful. Choose to be trusting. Choose to be loving. Choose to be kind-hearted. Choose to be forgiving, to be joyful, to be resilient, to be optimistic, to be hopeful. Make that choice. If you don't choose it consciously, you'll choose it subconsciously, and, and many of us will choose attitudes that are a reaction to somebody else's bad attitude. Or we'll choose attitudes that are a reaction to negative things, and they'll be as negative as a circumstance without realizing, whoa, God has given me transformational power in how I choose my mental and emotional response and disposition toward what happens to me in life. And you can be the person with the attitude everybody wants to catch. It's your choice. And so we decided we would use our kids to help us put this message into action. Because have you noticed when you're making decisions in life, there's often not somebody on a keyboard playing the right mood music right behind you? Okay, I'm going to make the right choice. No, it's just, here's the situation. Here's the, make the decision right now. Boom. Feel like it or not. So I'm going to ask all the kids to come on stage, and you're going to make a decision whether you feel like it or not. I don't know if you like this sermon. Or you're like, I hate it when they talk about attitude. I don't know what it is, all right? But we're going to give you a chance right now to make a choice. It's a joyful one, all right? The kids have done the hard work on this song. They have learned the hand motions. Aren't you glad? Or else I'd ask you to do hand motions. All you have to do is choose to smile, choose to be joyful, give them feedback, and, and choose to clap along with us, all right? So we're going to see how simple it is to choose an attitude. So stand together with me, if you will. And as they tell us and sing to us about Jesus, what a wonderful child, you notify your face, clap along, and let's choose a great celebratory attitude today.